Friends, friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we look at movies you love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my rebel teenager and detention friend, Eat my sh- Is that what you did? You Eat did a long pause and my shorts. Oh, oh, we're doing a bit. <laughs> Don't mess with the bull; you'll get the hordes. Yeah, <laughs> I love bit work to start a show. <laughs> listen, if you listen, if you're gonna give me the bender, I'm gonna give you. The, I'm gonna give you the. You know, I mean, come on, you're gonna, you're gonna give me all that run. I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, I feel like uh, giving someone the bender became an actual sex crime in the '80s after watching this movie. <laughs> What is it giving someone? I'm Josh Griffin. Giving someone an earring after Alex you fuck in a broom closet. Oh, I'm God, Alex Dandino. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're coming in hot because we're always excited when we start a new theme. But first, if you guys are listening to us here, you hopefully love the show. Uh, take a second, leave us a rating and review wherever you find us. It helps us out enormously, guys. Again, really big month last month, so we appreciate the help growing this little thing of ours. Um, also, if you're on socials, we're on socials, uh, follow, share, uh, interact with us guys. We love, uh, getting to know you guys better. And also we have a, a Gmail account, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up with your ideas on movies you'd like to see covered, whether they're in theaters, an entire month theme, uh, a double feature, whatever you guys want. We'd like to talk about it. Uh, so now this month of August, the pod joins the Brat Pack. Uh, the Brat Pack, obviously, is an iconic group of young actors. Uh, most of them really became popular from their work in John Hughes movies. There are a lot of other non-John Hughes movies that are kind of like extended Brat Pack. But I would say The Breakfast Club is probably like the one. The Breakfast- a lot of people point back to The Outsiders was like the first emergence of The Brat Pack. But I think The Breakfast Club kind of solidified the style of how we actually look back and remember these kids, right? The, the breakfast these kind club, of uh, archetypes of eighties characters. The breakfast club is the centerpiece of the Brad pack universe of movies. Like there's yes. no, so Alex, there's no movie more. I can what? Make. That's right. I would like to start with this. Talk me through why we still to this day love the Brat Pack, love this kind of movie. Most of the ones we picked this month, right, are a little more of kind of the high school-centric movies. Uh, we do get to St. Elmo's Fire, which I think is a really fun wrap-up, even though it happened shockingly early in the Brat Pack's run. Right. Uh, but I think Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire is a really interesting bookend <laughs> for kind of the journey of high school characters and where they would probably end up. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so what about these movies, uh, this era, this kind of, you know, high school angsty comedy uh, Brat Pack flicks did you like so much? I mean, I think The Breakfast Club in particular is special because it is, it is all, it's all of us. Like, great movies and movies like this particularly are interesting because we all want to graft our own, we all want to graft our own experiences onto films. We all want to see... Whether we like it or not, we all kind of want to see ourselves in movies. We want to see that character that reminds us of who we were or who we are, or who we want to be. So I think the reason The Breakfast Club to me is a seminal piece of like not just American culture, but just culture in general is because all of us are one of these five people. 
Like, it doesn't matter whether or not you did those exact things. You got detention. You didn't get detention. You are one of those five people because you shared an experience that one of these people had to go through. Like, you maybe you were a jock who, like, deep down secretly kind of regretted the fact that you were a little bit too much of a jock sometimes. But you valued the fact that this could get you somewhere. Maybe you were, you know, any of the number of people in this movie. One of these five archetypes of people, though, you saw yourself in. So you became that person and you felt that person. And anything they went through in that movie, you knew that you could go through and you probably had been through in some form or another. That's what makes this movie so responsible to culture and so important to anybody who's growing up. Like, I would give this movie to my kid. Like this is a movie where you watch it and you see seeing yourself. Henry, in this you're movie. six months old. It's time to get into the real shit. <laughs> seeing yourself in a movie like this, and really like that's what John and that's what something that John Hughes like Hughesian is a phrase we have now because that's what John Hughes did. John Hughes wrote movies about not necessarily people he knew, but people that he knew people could be like everyone's been one of these five people everybody's been everyone's felt left out everyone's felt let down on their birthday everybody's felt the twinge of pain when you see a girl that you love with another guy like those are the important things that are seminal to your life that shape you uh, going into not adulthood necessarily but like later teenage years like i would say yeah saint almost fire is a great bookend because yes it is like the eventuality of where all these kids end up but like the breakfast club all of us have been through this. All of us have been through something similar yeah. to this. Well, I, I would take it even almost a step farther, right? I think the thing that I think Breakfast Club is one of my all time favorite movies. Like I have watched this movie so many times and I just I'm so flabbergasted every time. I love it so much. Um, what this movie does, I think, and even beyond the five people, right? I think you're on to something with the the archetype catch-all right it's it's a really clever device of let's take all of the most notable high school cliques give them an avatar and you will see yourself in that i think this movie does even an extra step which is even the two adults and the parents we see all become avatars as well absolutely if we're not exactly the kids in the room we know those kind of parents those because i today watching it again and trying to really look for new things to discuss about it i'm I was surprised by how much humanity they do find in the two adult characters. Um, not always for the better, but they're they're real characters, man. They, even your parents, like now as a parent too, I can relate to them even but more. Then to that point, um, though, did they, you they, see that when you were younger? I feel like when I was younger, they were more cautionary tales, right? Right, exactly. Like that's what. But this now, movie yeah, you're does. like, fuck. This movie is yeah, so. But, so this is what it is, right? Yeah, it's. What I think that the second layer of what John Hughes does so well is while these characters are kind of very broad catch-alls, right? To your point of everyone should be able to find them. I mean, most of us are probably a mix of a couple of them, right? But what this movie does is it is so insanely sharp on the details. The detail work in this film, I mean, the first 25 minutes or so, every moment with every character is such an illuminating detail on who these people are that while they are two-dimensional archetypes at the start they find a way to be such specific characters and they flesh this world out to become so realistic that you do feel like you're really in the high school experience again 
And even though the characters have their specific quirks, it doesn't detract from the you being able to latch onto the archetype. So it's this weird, highly detailed catch-all, which doesn't seem like it would work for a lot of movies. But John Hughes was a master of the, this is a real world. Yeah. Uh, these are real characters and people, but yet you can perfectly, uh, you know, Jake Sully yourself into them, right? With the help of uh, him as Sigourney Weaver. Right. See what I did there? I gave you a little subtle avatar. Nice, Nicely done. Well done. Yeah. I know you love the avatars. But you like got Pandora blues. <laughs> but that's sort of the beauty of this. Like, like you think about like the idea, like the main, like the thing that they do, like for instance, uh, so assistant principal Vernon comes in and Vernon tells them they're going to be there all day and they have, they have to write an essay about who they think they are describing themselves, that kind of thing. Beautiful device. Yeah. Which is a great device because a, you're thinking about that as the viewer, the entire movie. Like you're like, who do these people really think they are? And then you're thinking about who you think they are, but then on a third level, you're thinking about, well, wait, who do I think I am? And that's yeah, who what did I think I was. <laughs> that's what you're, and that's what the whole point of the movie is. That's what you're watching is you're not paying attention. Like you're hearing these stories and you're paying attention to the story because as it transpires, it's entertaining, but it's five people sitting in a room talking. Like that's what is so thrilling about this movie. And that's what makes movies like this. And that's what makes John Hughes as a writer. So compelling is that he never makes you focus on the story. He makes you focus on yourself. And the story is what carries through the narrative, but you yourself are what going to carry you through the actual film because you're going to graft yourself onto one of these characters, whether you're Bender, Claire, Andrew Clark, Brian, or Allison. Like One of these five you're going to graft onto, and every time they're not on screen, you're going to wish they were. That's the power of this movie, man. That's the real that's the real fuel that keeps you chugging along in this flick and that's the, the thing you feel the most for. Yeah, I think it's fascinating too because such a big part of what we all did at that age is you realize the importance of the myth building, right? Right. So what they really hone in on this movie is the desperate need for these people to create some kind of facade of what they are. And even if it's something they don't like, they hide behind it because the alternative of being nothing, right? Like when Andrew Clark tells Bender, you're nothing, man. You don't even matter. That is about as bad as it can be in this town. Yeah. And they do a great job too. Cause that even, uh, you know, fans out into the janitor, right? He's like, Oh, you think I'm an untouchable peasant? Oh, I was my picture in the opening montage. I was a man of the year. Yeah. Now I push a broom. And so you can tell he's upset by it, right? right? And uh, what's his name? Uh, the principal, right? He's checking himself out in the reflection of the fire extinguisher. Uh, when he walks into the room, he's putting on his facade, right? Right? Like the great moment when it's like, you want another? You want another? Yeah. When he walks out of that room, he's not mad. He actually, this is one of my favorite moments too. He does that deep, <sighs> like, well, that was fucked up. Right. I didn't want to deal with that on a Saturday. Right. But in that room, he's all, you'll get the horn, right? So it's con you realize how much everyone in this high school environment, and I and in not even the kids, there is such a pressing need to define who you are and find solace in some kind of tribalism. Right. And this movie, again, I love the way that they're so hyper-specific in the characters and all their details are great, but yeah, I mean, every single person becomes a catch-all for some kind of fear or joy that you had in high school. Right. That 
I mean, maybe they're all catching percentages of us, right? Maybe it's not just one. No. But maybe all of them together, they feel like they're perfectly capturing almost a complete high school experience. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Like, it's like capturing four years of high school in one Saturday for an hour and a half of a movie. Like, that's the brilliance of the whole thing. Like, you just feel everything throughout the entire movie. Like, from the start, man, like, you know, that, like, for me, like, when I see Anthony Michael Hall pull up with his family, like, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I know he doesn't belong there. Like, why is he... What, like why is the why why is the yeah. nerd why is the nerd getting thrown into detention like what did he do, and like the stories you hear are harrowing of course because that's the way it is yeah well no we'll get to that later but we're yeah. gonna rank which kid is the worst but <laughs> but no but that's <laughs> but that's the, what it, the opening with the cars is fantastic because we get to see like the I don't care parent the I'll hit you parent with the wrestler right be a machine yep his mom is like confused as he is to be there but mad about it. Ali Sheedy's parents we don't see, and then her parents almost hit Bender, who doesn't flinch. Yep. You're like, right in that moment, we know so, 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 so much about these people. And then, but yeah, I, I mean, to me, the, the superstar of this movie is the script. Like, yeah. the, the interplay between these characters is just, it's unbelievable to watch. Cause again, like you said, it is essentially just people sitting around one giant room chit chatting. Right. But, what they're talking about becomes so vibrant and exciting that you're just, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm rocketed through until the pot smoking. That's where I'm kind of like, wow, really hit the brakes on this. Didn't we? <laughs> but there's just, a, I just think that the jokes and the characters are so much fun just to spend time with. Like you're, it's almost one of those movies. You're like, I think I would do nine hours in a room with you guys. I would just sit and watch how you fucked around all day. Right. Yeah, I mean it's All right, Alex, I want to hit you with something. Yeah. What do you make of the moment where Bender pulls the screw out and all we've had is conflict now. Bender pulls the screw out and immediately the room galvanizes around him and lies to hide his transgression. What do I make of that moment? Walk me through this moment, right? Cuz it seems like the easy thing to do would be we're going to rat Bender out. Right. But they don't. Now, is this they're more entertained or the, or are they afraid of if I'm the one who rats him out, this somehow hurts my high school credit? I mean, I think that's a little common. Would young I, Alex Dandino have been like, oh, that did that dude did it. Oh, fuck. No, I wouldn't have said anything. I just would have been like, I didn't do it. Leave me alone. <laughs> but like, I think that I, I, th I think it's less about galvanizing around Bender and more like minimizing the risk. Like. All of them are there, especially at that moment. All of them are there to get through the day. They just want to be done with detention for the day. Bender's the only one who knows he's like, this is the thing. The reason I think Bender does that, honestly, is because Bender's the only one who knows he's going to wind up back in detention anyways. Like, there's no way he's not going to be in detention for another weekend at some point. But I think he does. I think Bender does that one because he wants to fuck. Like, that's just his thing. He fucks with the establishment. Like, but it's like this sort of put on. It's that thing. It's like peacocking in high school. Like, it's the thing you do to make girls like, oh, wow, he's like a bad boy. He's like willing to go up against the system. Like, that's Bender's thing. Everyone else, I, t I really truly believe everyone else is like, the reason they're not going to tell is A, they fear retribution, but also. 
they just don't want to deal with Vernon more than anything else. Like what they want to do is be left alone and sit in the room quietly and do their thing. They don't want to have to deal with what's going on with Vernon and all that shit. Because clearly he's he's supposed to be the antagonist in this movie. Up to that point, it's sort of Bender because Bender is like poking at everybody and trying to piss everyone off. But Vernon becomes sort of this overarching nemesis, not of like, oh, it's a bad guy and good guy thing, but more like nemesis of time. Like they all see like, this is probably like, they all see someone who thinks very highly of themselves. Like Vernon, I think believes Vernon's insecurities don't lie in like, oh, I'm an assistant high school principal. Vernon's insecurities lying like, oh, like I am not nearly the power that I thought I was. I'm not nearly import- as important as I thought I could be. So what I'm going to do is lord my assistant principalship over these children who <laughs> fuck with me on a regular basis. And it's Saturday, so I'm going to fuck with them. Like that's what I think that that's what I think Vernon's issue is. I think the reason they don't tell him is simply because they don't want to be fucked with anymore. Personally, see, I feel I, like. I think it's a really simple thing. This is a really important turning point in the script to me. Because I think this is where, on some level, I'm sure it is like just fighting against Vernon, right? Like, look at this fucking asshole. This $35,000 a year Barry Manilow looking motherfucker. Fuck this dude, right? Uh, But I think there's something else, man. I, I think that it's kind of a two pronged of one, I think all of them look at Bender. And I think that's how we all kind of wished we were in high school, right? We all feel this angst and like high school's bullshit. Why do we have to deal with this? And look at these douches like Vernon. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, why would I respect a guy whose life looks like that? Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> right? No one wants. So I think in a weird way, there's a part of it. And we learn later how much all the characters hate who they are. Yeah. Which shockingly, maybe Bender more than all. But he's kind of taking the lead as this, you know, more than any other character. He needs the mythology armor, you know, based on what's going on with his life. So I think there is this weird wish fulfillment with Bender where we all kind of wish we could be that guy. And even as adults, right? Oh, yeah. We all wish we could be the guy who's like, fuck off. Like, all just of totally us- have no respect for the nonsense we deal with. Yeah. But also, I think there's another level of how does this moment affect me? And I think that plays really heavy throughout the movie. It's part of while they wish they were him, they know they can't be. But maybe by not ratting him out, they're taking some of that into their mythology armor. Right. I mean, I think that, yeah, all of us wish we were a bender. But, like, all of us wish we were a bender. But yeah, without, right. With- I was kind of probably a mix of, like, Michael C. Hall and Ali Sheedy. But, like, I wanted to be a bender and tried desperately. Yeah. But, I, like, in really benign ways. <laughs> I think anyone who says they were a bender is the mix of Anthony Michael Hall and Ali Sheedy. Like that's the truest form of Bender because what Bender is, is like what Bender is, is those two with like more id basically, because really like at the end of the well, Bender, day, you've seen in like investigation discovery shows. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Bender, like, you've seen Bender in, like, becomes like there's a show, the company I work at, there's a show we do called deadly cults. And it's about like, about, and literally like every story is like, yeah, in high school, me and my friends were all really getting into like trying, you know, like black metal. So we started like, sucking each other's blood like that's like that's that's bender like bender yeah. has a group of friends well, no, in the- this but this is a strange moment right where 
when the principal goes, you guys think this guy's fucking funny, right? Because they've all kind of thrown their lot in with Bender. Right. He's like, you think this guy's fucking funny? Come see me in five years. Come see John Bender in five years. See how fucking funny it is. And now as an adult, I watch that movie. I'm like, oh, fuck, he's right. Oh, no. Like, like th- that isn't going to end well, you feel. Like, as a kid, I remember, like, oh, Bender's actually, like, a soft heart. Like, Bender's going to join the school play. He's got a girlfriend. He'll start a band, something productive. Right. He'll go to art school. Like, Vernon? Like, hmm. Probably it's just going to be sad, right? Because he comes from a broken, abusive house. and Vernon and Carl. Just seems like he's on a bad path. <laughs> Vernon and Carl are like the proliferations of these characters. Like, there's so much deep resonance in that scene between the two of them when they're sitting there talking. Like, the importance of those two characters as the reflection and like the mirror, mirror versions of five years after high school for the characters as they see themselves is really like... To me, like, really the crux of the movie. Like, Vernon, for all of them, is... Vernon, for all of them, is time. Like, it's literally watching the passage of time. Like, look at this guy. I bet he was... And and because Carl's Carl. Like, Carl's fine with who he is. Like, Carl, of course, hates being a janitor. But at the same time, like, he's made his peace, peace with who he is in life. Vernon's the one who's trying to become something more than he really is. And I think that's really fascinating yeah. because... I mean, like, in a way... Vernon is more stuck in high school than any of these kids are. Vernon is oh, Vernon, yeah, Vernon sure. is the school. Like he might be an administrator, but he like he's one of those guys who never left. It I mean, more so than Carl. Carl might have been man of the year in that you know at Shermer, Illinois High School, but at the same time, he's not he's not up he's not he's not like delusional about his place in life. Vernon is. So I think that's kind of yeah. like that's well, kind of like, like the kind of guy who maybe, yeah. Well, like Carl seems like he's got enough smarts to like go home and just kind of think about bigger issue moments of life. Yeah. So he's like, all right, I'm making money. I'm good. You do by the end of the movie, you're like, Carl is the saddest character because man, the amount of damage and oh. fuckery oh, they did god. in that library that he has to clean That's up. That's the thing that actually. You're like, good god, they were just fucking shit up. Every like Carl's gonna have another two hours of cleanup. Oh, more After than that, detention is Carl has to fix the ce- Carl has to fix the ceiling. Like, there's so much Carl has to get done before he goes. There's just random like baloney slices and pixie stick dust and coke spills. Pix- pixie Bender's stick dust. ripping out pages coke and spill. flipping registers. It's like, goddamn. There's um. There's yeah. There's drywall. He just all left over the, the shoe in the gym. <laughs> the shoe. Th- the gym. Carl thing, has the saddest life in the movie. Oh yeah, Carl me. has. Carl is the saddest character. Carl has the worst. Like five minutes after the credits roll thing, like Carl like walks in the library and goes, "Fuck this, fuck my life." Oh bad. By the way, this is another thing. All those kids for sure got detention again, like without question, because of the damage they caused that day. I thought you were gonna because they're really clever essay. Vernon's like, "What the fuck is this? Fuck you." <laughs> Vernon didn't read that essay. No, Vernon. Vernon literally picked it up. And said, okay, so nobody did the assignment. Cool. All right, you're all getting detention again without question. Let's like, be fair. We know how Vernon's life goes, right? Vernon's at the stage of his life where he could have made two choices. He made the bad one. Vernon is going to keep getting more and more, why are things not working out for me? $35,000 a year is going to start seeming less and less and less. Next thing you know, he's watching too much Fox News and yeah. chanting send her home. We all know who Vernon is. This yeah. guy is done for, right? Vernon's not going to be like, oh, these kids outsmarted me. I'm really good. <laughs> Right. So, like, the five of them, though, are spending the entire movie discussing and debating really why they'll never end up like Vernon. 
Like, because that's what it is. Like the proliferation of their high school careers. Like, honestly, like if you really think about it, like Andrew Clark is the one who winds up being Vernon in the future. Like, no, you want to know the truth? They all end up being Vernon in the future. I think about yourself as an adult and everyone we know. Almost all of us end up being a version of Vernon, right? We we have a job that we don't like, doesn't pay us enough, but yet we build this, I'm a man of respect. I feed a baby. Like, look at me. I'm married. Look at my fancy suits. Like, we're. I think that's the joke of the movie is that we all become Vernons, right? And the most well-adjusted guy probably is Carl, but that's seen as a negative for many of us. Right. But in a way, we're all Vernon. All of these kids, except for maybe Bender, who probably has a darker path, becomes Vernon. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a strange thing. Like, again, it's the, it's the amazing thing about this movie in general. Like, we all see reflect, like, there's a reflection of all of us in every single one of the characters. Like, I might not be a janitor, but I definitely see a reflection of myself in the way Carl operates and lives his life, unfortunately. Oh, dude. Like, when they made fun of Carl, I had a terrible, like, adult, like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, one, I probably would have been giggling with Bender. And two, I very much relate to that, like, is this where I landed in life? (laughs) Yeah. Carl is shockingly related. I mean, honestly, I thought Vernon was relatable, too, right up until the, hey, I'm going to fist fight a kid in a closet. Yeah. And by the way, that's a pretty fucking practice routine. Yeah. Come on. Like, there's no way that that's the first kid that Vernon has threatened to physically beat the shit out of in a closet. Also. And I know this was the 80s where that was a much more standard uh, kind of like dad and parenting trope is, hey, I will just physically use violence on you. But, I mean, that scene nowadays, we'll do this whole like how this movie is aged. Yeah. But that scene specifically, Vernon, to me, was a shockingly relatable character. Also. And almost sympathetic until that moment, right? Oh, no. Like, I get this kid's a shit, but, like, dragging him in a closet and I'm going to hunt you down or hit me now? Like, it's the first moment in the movie where you actually look at Bender and it's not this hardcore Judd Nelson performance. It's He's a scared little boy. And it's a really scary movie in the middle. Uh, moment in the middle of the movie yeah and it totally ruins my vernon is a uh, kind of a relatable guy this is why i think vernon takes the darker path right oh yeah i mean like this is like that's vernon man i mean i don't know how many people i went to high school who, who felt like that who like feel that like that now like there's there's the way i pictured my high school going and like of course like everyone who sees this movie goes oh yeah i had like that group of friends i'm like these people aren't friends like i think that's the most important thing and the thing that kind of gets tossed by the wayside is like all of these people went back to their lives after this story. Like, well, that's the moment when they talk about that's, in the, yeah, they talk about the it. sad circle, right? Is Hey, if we see each other on Monday, would you like even say anything? Or will you like cut me up and make fun of me uh, to your friends when I walk by? That is probably the most high school summary. Oh, absolutely. In the entire, movie. I loved that. That entire scene is great. But that moment in particular, where like Bender calls out Claire and he like, Claire's like, Come on. Like she's being honest with herself, which well, she also turns it back. She's like, you're just going to tell your friends you fucking tried to finger me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like we all know how all this of them, goes. all of them are going to say something different because they can't. This is about like the social stigma that is high school, like the clicks that form. And the thing that makes high school unbearable is that your group of friends becomes so important and so relevant to you that it becomes its own ecosystem itself you can't 
Let, right. Anything else that ch- anything that threatens or changes that ecosystem will completely torch what you have built. So you can't. Well, it's the scariest thing, and they deal with it great in this movie, right? Which yeah. is high school is this odd mix of I'm trying to create the myth of who I am and presenting to the world right. while constantly never wanting to be the one, right? Like the worst day in high school is where you do something where you stick out so much that everyone else notices and talks about it. Right. Like that's the greatest fear, right? It's you're like I'm having all these thoughts. I'm building my own identity. Yet I desperately just want to find a group to shield me and be a part of this organism. Like you never want to be that guy. Like, oh, that guy shit his pants in gym or whatever. <laughs> right. Oh, you know what I mean? That guy tripped and fell in lunch and spilled his food everywhere. Right. Because then, you know, some stupid nickname or like a recurring joke's going to happen. That's the great fear. So it leads to this while we are starting to understand more of the world and how we should behave. We often act in the most cowardly, terrible ways at that age. And this movie does a great, great job about that. Like, it doesn't try to turn anyone into, like, the good or bad guy. It's just kind of like, isn't this all bullshit? But none of them can escape it because that's just how it is to be a high school kid. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it is what it is. Like, there's just no other – there's no other way to describe it and there's no other way to deal with it than simply that is what high school is. I I think it's this – what a – it's just such a beautiful – like, that particular – like – that whole bit is what is it? It's like towards the middle of the movie. Like it's like sort of crest at the end of the second act. Right. There's in the middle of the third act when they're all sitting in the circle. It's kind of talking about exactly what the ecosystem of high school is. Yeah. The second to third act break is, I mean, I guess I would say it's when the pot happens. That's kind of the midpoint. Yeah. Like when I've- also this movie holds a special place in my heart. Cause I think it's the only comedy movie of all time where the characters smoke pot and the comedy ceases. Oh, wow. You're right. <laughs> you know what? I, like, have you ever watched another comedy where people smoke pot and hijinks don't ensue? Yeah. I mean, I guess you get the dance and Emilio goes banshee and breaks the window. But other than that, they smoke pot and then they have like the paranoid emotional freak out. Yeah. High, which is very because most of the time high school kids smoke pot. They're already running around the school meddling. That's going to keep being more funny. Yeah. This one's like comedy gone. No. <laughs> Weed is true. <laughs> But I mean, in marijuana veritas. But I think that's one of the. <laughs> but that's like one of the things that John Hughes knew. I think is what makes him such a fascinating writer. Is he's like, I know that not every time people smoke weed, they like start laughing and acting like idiots. Like that happens. But I think yeah. the thing that he knew better than anything is that. Anytime you decide to, anytime you decide to ingest a substance that makes you perhaps think differently or experience life a little differently, there's always going to be a little extra truth that comes out. I mean, like even even in high school, you can't have kids. Like, I mean, I think weed's a better choice than like if they're all passing around a bottle. You know, like weed is a much better like high school choice. Passing around a bottle is like a great party scene, but weed in the <laughs> high school is like perfect. I yeah it's what's well, funny too because that's also one of the first moments where they're going to get the weed right and that is kind of like a let's do this together break the rules and go get the weed right so this is again their kind of bond it the movie has this extra like Lord of the Rings layer right yeah where normally these people would not uh, integrate or talk to each other or like each other but they're in this like nine whole hours right and the movie does a great job too of. It shows you how in high school every single moment of your life is so huge and dramatic and matters. 
When really, but you know, so they're in this Lord of the Flies, like we have to survive nine hours. So they lie for Bender. Then they join him to go get pot. He kind of sacrifices himself, comes back. And then when they're all deciding if they're going to smoke, right? Like Andrew Clark's like, no, no. And, you know, they're all kind of like, let's not, let's not. Molly Ringwald's the first. And then you see it slowly breaking and they're like, well, now there's two of them and only three of us. So I guess we're in the right. We're the majority. And then when it breaks, it's like, now there's more of them than us. We have to go smoke pot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a cool, like, Lord of the, I mean, that's what I mean. The Lord of the Flies of high schoolness of this movie is very subtle, but awesome. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, again. You can't be the one guy who doesn't smoke. It's another awesome microcosm of high school, which is peer pressure. Like, they, again, like, John Hughes fits everything about high school, the four years of brutality and misery and joy and love into an hour and a half of movie that you're like, I experienced all these things in one way or another. It doesn't matter what it is like, but peer pressure more than anything has got to be one of the most relevant things people experience in high school. Like I can't imagine something more important to experience while you're in high school than being peer pressured into doing something you didn't want to do in the first place, or you weren't thinking you were going to do. And then you experience it and it's either a awesome or B terrifying uh, either one i don't really know which, which one which experience somebody had you think it's a good lesson to figure out young <laughs> uh yes i do i think the other lesson is that shit doesn't go away no as an adult peer pressure is still everywhere, it's everywhere. and groupthink is everywhere i i mean it's really it's it's an interesting way to use these characters as a way to be like be aware of all of this scary shit man even outside of high school there's a lot of that in this movie all right so we get to the pot smirk uh, pot circle. Pot smirking. Pot smirking. Uh, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Alex, as we start unveiling who did what to get into this, let's rank who are the biggest pieces of shit in this detention circle, right? Right. All right, so we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. The least piece of shit, Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy, obviously. Right? Like, didn't do anything to get in there. That kind of means it's sad. Yeah, but she could almost be like us as the audience, like watching this circle jerk, right? It's like a sociology experiment. Right. I mean, truth be told, she's the most judgmental because she doesn't have to be there and she's just there and she's hearing everyone's shitty stories. So, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say that the second least bad is Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Skipping. What did she do? Skip class to go shopping? Something like that. Pretty, pretty innocuous, like classic. Like I got to maintain my rep stuff. Sure, sure. Now we're getting into the heavy hitters, right? These are our three bad boys. Bender, they make it. He pulls a false fire alarm. Right. Pretty innocuous. I'm putting him as my third least shitty character. Granted, everything he does in the movie would say otherwise because he racks up eight more and is arguing with Vernon. But those are essentially victimless. Let's cut through the crap here, okay? And he's making them smoke pot or peer pressuring others. Bender is at... Bender's kind of like he seems like a real dangerous guy, but at best he's just like he kind of is a put on. He's a little bit of a show off a lot of the time because his parents don't give a shit about him. So and hurt and abuse him and hurt and abuse him. So he takes it that's out. That's what on, I mean. He, he that's takes, what I was saying earlier. He needs the story armor more than anyone because absolutely. he's an actual terrified. He child, is a right? vi- all high school kids are terrified children. But he is a true victim, like true, yeah. true and true. The only like, two people, actually, the sad one. The only two people who do truly terrible things in this movie are uh, Andrew Clark and Brian Johnson. 
Right. And I would say Brian benefits slightly from being pre-Columbine. Yes. And it's a flare gun that he said he was going to shoot himself with. But I was like, Brian is a textbook case of Brian. F- uh, these kind of terrifying loners we've seen nowadays. Yes. Brian. Like, I feel like Brian snaps and takes people with them. Brian, for sure. Real Brian, for sure, is a school shooter, like without question. Like the, <laughs> he has all the earmarks of a sociopath. Brian grows up. He becomes an incel. He's writing manifestos. Yeah, Brian. Like Brian, Brian grows, is a scary. Brian character. grows up and becomes the Unabomber without question. The so absolute in reality, worst. he's worse. But do you think in this movie you would put him below Emilio? Yes, absolutely. Emilio's is pretty fucking terrible. Like, and like honestly, I look at him when he's crying, and I'm thinking about that kind of stuff, and I'm like, yes, that's really sad. Now this fucking this is my fucking, my key fucking piece crocodile of tears, man. Yeah, suck it, suck it all, suck the butt, the bag of butts, suck it all. Yeah, no. Do you remember early in the movie when they sent him and Ali Sheedy? He did a dry run of his sob story. Yeah. Do you remember that? And he's like, I'm an athlete because I'm fast and I have speed and I'm a winner, not because I want to be a winner. And I was like, oh, my God, he's test running it. What a little fucking psycho. Oh, yeah. He's test running it later when he's like, you got to win. You got to win because that's what you do. Ah! And he's in the circle, like going full, fucking, but like you know, he, melodrama. He test run his sob story. He test well, he test runs the sob story to make people feel sorry for him. The story he tells of what he did might be one of the worst things I've ever heard in my entire life. I've never seen that in a high school ever. I I'm trying. The worst thing I saw, I saw some bad things in high school. Like I saw some stuff go wrong. I don't know. These are sad, but yeah, like but we did, not as bad as what look, Andrew Clark. Those did. are the things. No, Andrew Clark. I don't know why we're retalking about these. Andrew Clark <laughs> taped some kids' butt cheeks together, and then a really hairy, kid. a really hairy kid taped his butt cheeks together, and then they did they rip the the tape off. No, I think they had to later, and it like ripped his butt cheeks off or something like that. Like, it, I mean, it like caused physical damage. Like, it was pretty. It's a pretty gnarly story. And then he peppers it in again. Like, again, Andrew Clark, this is important. Andrew Clark in this movie is the guy who goes to, uh, goes to like Lehigh on a wrestling scholarship, uh, graduates, um, as a member of the Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity, goes on, works, goes and works at Lehman Brothers and gets his golden parachute. Like, this guy's life probably turns out okay. I mean, that's the sad reality, though, is a lot of times like, those are the this guys is a guy who never learns his lesson. Stand. Like, I mean, and truly yeah. and honestly, I believe this about the character. Like, he's someone who never learns his lesson. Like, well, I think that the faking it, I think he's the worst in this movie by far. Absolutely. But I mean, this is I think that's one of the things, right? Like, even us just like kind of reminiscing in this movie, like the micro transgressions as we see them in high school, but the damaging effect they have on people long term. Um, you know, but it is, it's like the things we'll do to be part of a group or get a laugh. And then it just can get so out of control so fast, right? We're at that weird, like your borderline adult age, but you still are so young and stupid. Yeah. I think Andrew is by far the biggest piece of shit though. And that's the thing. If he had actually had an emotional breakdown, but when he tests the sob story on Ali Sheedy, yeah, that psycho I, cover my own back. I guess behavior. I never thought of it like that. Wow, yeah, I never thought that he was testing, but he did. He told the story twice. Yeah, he told it 
twice. Not all the way earlier. He's Damn. Just, he didn't do the, like, admit his crime. He just told the, like, right. hey, I should see if this garners any sim. And, of course, Ali Sheedy's like, oh, poor you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Ali, again, yeah. Ali Sheedy is the most judgmental of everyone. And she's probably has every right to be because she's the one who's not noticed. So she sits quietly and lets and observes everyone again. Like, all of us want to yeah. be John Bender. We're all probably closer but to this. Anthony Michael Hall and Ali Sheedy. Yeah. Well, we need an a- annotation to our list, which is we're basing it on the time they were in and what they did. Uh, watching it now, you're like, John Bender is a Me Too nightmare, <laughs> right? So you're like, young kids watching it will probably say Bender is the worst. You know, he starts off his time in detention. I'm going to whip my dick out and piss on the floor. Hey, let's go lock the door and impregnate the prom queen. This right. is like some of his first opening gambits. Uh, you know, constantly sexually harassing her about virginity and positions. Hey, you're going to be a fat girl because your name's Corey. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, when he climbs under and he's like, he sees her panties for a minute and just like dives his face forward. You're like, Bender is a Me Too nightmare who at the end, they're kind of absolving because they pass earrings back and forth. And you're like, maybe he will make it. He'll be fine. Right. Knowing full well that Monday is going to come and all of this is going to be washed away. Yeah. And I'm, also, this is my other question. Do you think the Breakfast Club actually read the note? Nope. Not even close. Or just Brian? I think <laughs> Brian titles them the Breakfast Club. Because this is like, that's the thing that's really heartbreaking about Brian, too, is like Brian wants friends. Brian wants friends like this. Yeah. Friends he can actually talk to about his things. Because Brian, I think, deep down hates being smart and hates being in school. So Brian wants these friends. So the heartbreaking thing is that when you really think about it, Brian writes that note, tells Brian writes the note and actually is way more metal than Bender ever is. He literally tells the principal, fuck off. We're not writing your stupid. Yeah, paper. right. That's what I mean. So he does. And this. he brings a flare gun to school. That's hardcore. And That's scary. on top of everything else, <laughs> he gives like his like new group of fake friends a name, like a nickname. And that's like the most tragic thing when you really think about it is like this is someone who really <laughs> wants friends and they that don't. Becomes his, uh, that becomes his incel blog later that he's going <laughs> to radicalize the other Bryans <laughs> of the world. We are the Breakfast Club. We are the Breakfast we Club. Alone. We are the Breakfast Club. We wake up alone every day to a giant bowl of sadness and milk. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, man. I it is it's just funny, man. It's so much heavier than you would imagine. Yeah. Well uh but yeah, I mean, I feel like we think at the time Bender's just like, Oh look, there's a guy taking his shot. You're like, he is seriously much more rapey than I used to think of. Like when you watch it now, you're like, Wow, holy I shit. I am telling you, like, it's interesting <laughs> too because like um I can't remember it was a few years ago. Uh or no, it wasn't a few years ago, actually. It was yeah, it was la- no, it was last year, last April, Molly Ringwald like uh relitigated the Breakfast Club and for the New Yorker. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. She wasn't wrong. No, she's not at all. Like, everything she... Well, no, people kept saying, like, hey, it was a different time. Like, judge the movie based on that. And you're like, that's fine. And I know we all love The Breakfast Club. Sure. But also, we can acknowledge, like, hey, man, Bender's not, like, the, the boyfriend you should want at the end of the movie. No. To change earrings with. Like, Bender, through his trauma, becomes a bad guy who traumatizes others. I mean, how I, about... I, I read Molly Ringwald's thoughts, and I'm like, yeah, she's right. Oh, absolutely! Like, like we all love it. We all love this movie, but I mean, him, yeah, him, it, it hasn't aged great. Him <laughs> thinking that it's okay for him to just lean forward into a girl's legs and basically 
eat her out a little bit while she's sitting there being excoriated by a school principal is not okay. Like in any sense of any, oh, anywhere. Dude, not even that. I forgot he had the knife and threatened to kill Andrew if they fought. Oh, yeah, that. Uh, Bender might actually be the bad one. No. Bender might be worse. It's definitely Andrew Clark. He jumps He jumps Brian, who doesn't become bad until his incel blog, The Breakfast Club, <laughs> takes off. Dude, no. Bender. See, this is the other thing, too, is like when you think about it five years down the line, like Bender's probably dead for one. Um, Ouch. God damn. <laughs> Did what? you just smoke some pot? This got real serious. <laughs> Bender for sure got into heroin and died, like without question. <laughs> like, I'm just or he became uh he became the jesse to <laughs> brian's walter white no no if anything if it, there's one thing that happened it was probably bender either got into hair metal and got uh recruited by a band called no. motley crew or no way no i think bender found joy division no way. And him and Ali Sheedy sympathized over the loss of Molly Ringwald dumping him on Monday. Uh-uh. And they go to art school together uh, and live in a collective now. Mo- Molly-, Molly Ringwald's the one who found Joy Division. I think Bender heard the sweet licks of... Uh, no. I th- she just listens to Material Girl on repeat. I think Bender heard the sweet licks of Motley Crue and he's like, I gotta get on this. I wanna be Dr. Feel Good for once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I- yeah, baby. No, I mean... This is the thing that happens a lot when you, especially because our show, we kind of look back at older films. We're more of an archive kind of show. Right. Like some movies just don't age well. but no. And I think it's important to show to not like not take in Breakfast Club anymore, but remember the kind of casual stuff that was just everywhere back then. Right. It, yeah. When this movie was released, that was not like, oh, look at that little fucking deviant. No. It was that like, was a pretty standard kind of guy. Like, and again, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, it's like when people say, oh, well, it was a different time. You know, it was the eighties. It was different. It's like, yes, but that doesn't, that doesn't excuse <laughs> the behavior. Like just because it was a different time doesn't mean it was, it shouldn't be relitigated and looked at it and go, huh, that's not great. Nobody should be doing that yeah. kind of thing. Just because he's there for a fire alarm and trying to fist fight principles rather than being a sexual predator. Right. You know, that's still bad. It's still not good. No, I mean, that's the problem. Some movies just have these kind of big things where it's like to not acknowledge it would be a little silly and disingenuous. But yeah, I mean, that article by Molly Ringwald, she really got into it of a lot of the, And I don't I mean, the thing I think people were mad at, too, is she took shots at John Hughes about it. And I was like, I don't think Bender's like some kind of like uh, John Hughes liked Bender a lot. I mean, but that guy did exist. Like, oh my God, dude, are you kidding me? You tried to fire Judd Nelson during the filming. You know, Judd, <laughs> did you know? Okay, yeah, this is a really fun tidbit. Judd Nelson stayed in character off camera and apparently like harassed Molly Ringwald so badly, John Hughes wanted to fire him. And Emilio Estevez and the rest of the cast be like, you can't fire Judd. He's doing something amazing. Let him do this. Yeah. Let him just keep harassing. Let him keep harassing Molly and that, fucking my lady, My uh, ladies and gentlemen was called the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let this bad behavior. I mean, honestly, if you look at the Brat Pack and how this thing kept going, there was if a you lot look at of the Brat Pack. keep doing these terrible things because they're doing good work. <laughs> if you look at the Brat Pack and how their all their careers trajectories went through, <laughs> the 80s is a great microcosm. Hey, he might be a total dick, but like, let him do his thing. He's doing great work. Like, that's... Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah, it's terrifying. Like, that what that happened on set 
someone's like, hey, I'm being harassed by this actor who is still in character. Like, imagine if now, like, if Daniel Day-Lewis did that. Like, if he, like, sexually harassed people as Daniel Plainfield. He was actually just uh, butchering people. <laughs> He's like, my guy's name is The Butcher. Yeah. I can't lose that edge. Right, exactly. And they're like, did you just kill another PA, Daniel Day? <laughs> You're out. Call me Bill. <laughs> Call me Bill. Hey, uh, you've got to fire him. <sighs> He's doing such great work, though. I can't. Yeah, like imagine us having this conversation about Daniel Day Lewis during like Lincoln or something like that. You know, <laughs> I read somewhere Lincoln was a serious whore monger, so I'm just fucking everything in sight. All right, uh, are you sure you should be yeah. doing that? Come lick upon honest Abe. That's what I call him. Like Daniel, enough. We have to fill four score and this nut to go. But no, seriously, like, oh, yes, man. this movie is like a complete microcosm of the 80s. And just because it was made in the 80s doesn't excuse like pretty fucking horrible behavior from a character that none of us should ever want to go like, oh, man, Bender is so cool standing up to the man. No, like it's hard because we watched it at a time where it's stuck in our brain as one things. And then as you get older and wiser, you're like, oh, wow. That was not, uh, you know, it's like for those of us that grew up in the 90s and you're like, maybe I just liked corn a little bit too much. Like maybe that, maybe that was not the, the best way to spend my musical youth. But whatever. It's just one of those things. Like he just hasn't aged well. Right. You know, that happens to movie characters. It's fine. But The Breakfast Club is itself is a whole piece, man. To sum this up, I just think it is such a, a tight and brilliant movie because what it what it is is. Just people trapped in a room, but it's so exciting and fun. The characters are these great catch-alls, but highly detailed. The world is so well-built. Um, and the, the way they, they really do capture the high school experience from all angles, good, bad, and they don't try to, like, you know, it's not even nostalgia, right? It's just this is what it was. Um, I just I think it is such an incredible feat in filmmaking yeah. across all fronts. I mean, I I think it's nostalgic for its costumes and music choice, and uh, I mean, obviously, its uh, willingness to sexually assault the peak the characters it has in its film. Oh, uh, here we go. We already did that bit. No, but uh, there is nostalgia in it. <laughs> but I think like what you're getting at, and what I agree with, is that this movie doesn't feel like nostalgia to me because it's still so relevant. Like the feelings and the fears and the honesty and the everything you feel in this movie is still real. Like there's nothing about it that has, there's nothing about it that's become less visceral or less faded over time. Everything I feel for these characters and everything I feel about when I watch, you know, them all put on Brian, like, Hey man, just write the paper. You're, you know, just write it for all of us. You're the best one. You're the smartest one. And then for him to write that, and then you realize, like, oh, none of them agreed to that. That's so sad. Like, that's... In none of them. They were all, like, doing makeovers and making out while he's writing his paper, and none of them read none it. None of them gave a shit. Like, that's, I that's think... That's the saddest part. That, I think... That's when Brian became radicalized. Yeah, but that's what it is. Like, none of it's faded, and I think that's what makes... That's what makes the that's what makes the Breakfast Club really important. That's what, what makes John Hughes, as a writer still relevant even though he wrote yeah. certain things in probably a less acceptable way than they are now uh still relevant though because the spirit of it is so important well there's a reason this movie is so beloved and iconic right i mean it's just 
it it just captures a universal coming of age story in a really brilliant way um, that everyone should find something they're like. And again, not all movies age as well as others, but there's still plenty to appreciate, right? Absolutely. And again, like even the ugly truths of what some of the things that are happening in that movie, it's important to remember uh, that that's how fucked up things used to be. You know, yeah. it's just one of those movies. It's just so incredibly well made, and when when you see a script like this and the performances that are happening. And again, this, this movie becomes iconic for the song, uh, for Bender, for the hand up. It cemented Molly Ringwald as the high all American high school girl. I mean, everything about this movie is iconic and it's designed intentionally. So because there's supposed to be these big catch all pillars for all of us to, you know, uh, remember these days. And through all of that, I mean, we can be transported back to our own times and places in high schools and, you know, just think about that journey, man. Yeah. I don't know. I I find this movie endlessly fascinating. I mean, it is. It's just there's never going to be a time like we're going to watch it again in another like five years and go, wow, this is a different movie now. Like. This is an amazing film. It's it has permutations on permutations and it exists beyond it exists beyond like the realm of oh it's this and this and this and this it's exists beyond what they put forward in the film and the themes transcend time and it makes it so much more so much more impressive on a rewatch that's all yeah no it's 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 a movie that should keep growing with us right i think that's the thing you'll always find a new angle whether it be more the adults or you know the times we live in this and that uh, as you age and get further away from your own uh wild and chaotic youths um i don't know man i th- i think this is an all-timer i've always adored this i'm glad we got to talk about it on the movie i hope you guys all enjoyed the breakfast club as much as we did um as always leave us a rating and review share this pod and the breakfast club with one of your movie loving friends that's how we like to grow the show best. We're on all the socials. You can find us and get uh, in contact with us there. Also, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com for your suggestions on themes, double features, movies in theaters you'd like us to talk about, uh, Brat Pack movies you love that we can see if we can try to cram in. We actually will announce now we're doing a double feature, but an unusual one. Uh, Alex and his wife will be covering 16 Candles. Woo. Myself and my wife, Amy, will be covering Pretty in Pink. Uh, so the wives wanted to get in on this Brat Pack John Hughes action that they love, too. Uh, so that's coming out. Lots of other good stuff, guys. Um, for the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. We'll see you next week. <laughs>